0: I had a chief procurement officer last week that told me that out of $8 billion, they have $1.2 billion of uncategorized spend. They have no idea what they're spending money on. If you're able to save $400 million out of that $1.2 billion of spend, how would that impact your bottom line? Like, There's so much quality levers within what you don't know.
1: Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another
2: episode of Modern Business Operations. My name is Sagi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. And today, I have the pleasure of hosting Stephanie, the founder and CEO of Tealbook. Stephanie.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Well, before we jump into a lot of exciting content, what maybe start with telling us a little bit about yourself, how you start the company. What is Tealbook and a little bit of your background?
0: Sure. How much time do we have? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm originally from Quebec, French, Canadian, left Quebec a long time ago to become a ski instructor, actually on the West Coast, and then went to university, learned English. That worked out well. I uh, always want to be an entrepreneur. I come from a long family of entrepreneurs, be most well-known. My grandfather started Pepsi in Quebec and passed away fairly young. So my grandmother ended up taking over the bottling and, and distribution of Pepsi Cola back in the I think 50s or 60s. So I grew up with this iconic woman who was quite strong, very feminine, but also a boss lady and raised three kids while building Pepsi Cola and attending a lot of different community events being Pepsi. So I think mean, that was a pretty big inspiration for me as I grew up. And I'd always have these business ideas, a million business ideas. Started my first company when I was 18. It was focused on corporate events, sold that to become a ski bum, and then went to university. And I I ended up working in startup environments in the early stage of my career. Also had the opportunity to work for a data company that was quite well established and saw just the power and information and the value of having data, which to me was very Subjective on the value of who's consuming the data. So I thought that was really interesting. Started my first business in 2006, consulting. So very you know low sort of capital to start. Made that business profitable in the first few years, and that business really focused on helping large organization initially find innovation. And so any stakeholders of any function looking for innovations. it could be marketing, it's been packaging, it's been supply chain, even I worked a lot in pharmaceutical where it's clinical trial. anything that was innovative that was happening and could impact the business in a positive way. I became a bit of a matchmaker. So the company was called Matchbook and a lot of my clients start seeing this process that looked a lot like strategic sourcing and procurement because it was all about understanding the problem that we're looking to solve looking for third-party providers that had solved similar challenges for other organizations or had some ideas of how to solve the business challenge and then coming to the table to present, ultimately, one of the partners would be selected and start working with the client. And so a lot of my customers start asking, could you help us improve our strategic sourcing function? Because we're trying to move from being more spend management and procurement to be more value-add. And so I started building basically strategic sourcing functions. So I fell into this space. The business evolved. A lot of my contacts went to companies that were raising a lot of capital, especially at the time in the biotech space. And so a lot of my contacts would call me and say, Hey, you know, we need everything. We're building our entire commercial infrastructure. We need every supplier that can support a global, you know, biotech company. And so sort of fell into building procurement functions, which we ended up calling it more of a third-party optimization because most companies at that stage don't like procurement. They think procurement is putting roadblock in processes when in fact, I saw an opportunity to make the process of engaging the right supplier as one of the biggest you know, competitive advantage to a company. And as we were building procurement function, I started seeing that there's a lot of software. People want to do good things and a lot of process, which then in- hindered speed and scale, and start. I started seeing that this there's a big problem around information about those suppliers that very quickly became siloed and disparate across all the different systems and tools that were implemented to automate contract or payments or invoicing or sourcing or third party risk management. And so we ended up with a very difficult architecture with data living in a bunch of places and limited. Possibility to then optimize this investment made in suppliers to drive business objectives. And so, anyway, long story, I spent nine years killing the idea of Tailbook, finally put the pieces together. What the big differentiator was, what I saw an opportunity to solve this data problem in a way that technology could enable the automation of data quality when it comes to third party providers. Today it's still done very manually. A lot of dependencies on suppliers to come to multiple portals, a lot of time spent reviewing third-party data, trying to reconcile with the master data just to get a trusted spend reporting that it takes time. It's recurring, it's very limited. And so what we've been focused on is really making quality data accessible to any enterprise and feed a consistent high-quality record to all the different functions across the life cycle of a third-party provider. And that could be procurement, could be supply chain, logistic, compliance, payments, third-party risk, ESG. It's typically the same information that's needed to be provided to all these different systems. Also optimizing the investment made in analytics tools because with better data, you get better insight and so on and so forth. So that's been the mission nine years now using AI to improve quality data on suppliers at a a scale that, you know, to this date has not been... Able to achieve
2: right on time, I guess. You know, it's been uh, nine years in the making, but it's it feels like this is really where a lot of the things I've even seen in podcasts, you know, where folks spending time in their interests. So I wanted to kind of maybe follow up on a couple of things there. I guess the, the first thing that comes to mind, it almost feels like there was the first renaissance and then the second renaissance when it comes to data. It was like you know, first decade of data who, data what, what do you mean by data kind of thing. And now it feels like, you know, it kind of threw AI there too. And like a lot of different things comes together. And one of the things I wanted to connect to is the strategic aspect of, for example, procurement. And I had a great guest in the podcast just a few weeks ago, they talked about the shift in also how procurement teams see themselves. And I've seen it in other departments as well, there's maybe even a natural way for us as technology becomes better for us to kind of rethink our roles and, you know, where do we stand as people, right? And like, what are we bringing to the table? And so I feel like it all kind of comes together, right? You know, so people are trying to be more strategic, technology gets better with AI and stuff. And so not to put words in your mouth, but you're saying, okay, but now the data needs to be better. And so maybe talk a little bit about... You know that well, the market conditions right now maybe compared to where it was five years ago, ten years ago, and wh- you know where do you see like this continue to grow?
0: Well, so if you think of data itself, think about any process in your organization today where data is important to collect. And so, one of the use cases that we started with was supplier diversity. And so, if you're an organization that do business with small diverse businesses. And you may be regulated, you may be getting funded from the government, there may be incentive, it may be something that you've made a promise to your shareholders that you have to report. The process itself of finding the vendor master, cleaning the vendor master, figuring out how many suppliers are duplicates in your system, figuring out which of your suppliers may be small and diverse, getting the contact information of those suppliers, contacting those suppliers for them to come and put a certificate in a portal right? Validating a certificate. Like, I mean, we're talking about many, many, many manual steps just to achieve a diversity report that you can report with confidence to your shareholders. That's really hard. And so what we've applied is like, okay, how do you use this manual process and you apply automation? Can you use AI to solve this problem? What also happens that AI technology that are customer-facing or stakeholder-facing, like talk about chat GPT right now, lots and lots of buzz around that. Well, you need to have data that you trust to be able to answer business questions using those technologies. And if your foundation is not good quality, then you're not going to be able to trust the insight. And so you know, there's sort of two angles to this. There's the AI, which you can solve for the data, which is what we're doing. So how can you use AI to collect all this information, right? How do you Unified to the right supplier. How do you validate the quality of that data using AI? How do you help customers have more transparency, more flexible in the data that they need and distribute across their system? Is what we solve for. And then there's the application of AI that relies on good data quality. What we've seen is a big shift. And one, like five years ago, we were doing webinars on AI and ML, like what it is, you know, how it can be used. Like we don't have to do this anymore. Like, I mean, it's been amazing from an industry perspective, but there's still a lot of education at the enterprise level. Like what we hear often is like, oh, we have now, we've bought BI tools. We get lots of data, like lots of insight, but what's the quality of your data? And they go, well, it's three out of 10. Or you, Usually I start with that. What's the quality of your supplier data? They'll go three out of 10 or four out of 10. And then they tell me they've got all these amazing analytics tools, or there's a they now are able to use a chat GPT within their Enterprise environment that's sitting on a data lake that's pulling data from all their systems and you're assuming now that your system have good data quality which is not the case and so I think it's a lot of education right now and data is not analytics analytics depends on good data and then if you're going to leverage some of those really cool powerful tools, you know it's okay to not have great data when you need something that's directionally correct. Or if you want to use a technology to review contracts, that is tangible structured data, you can do it. But when you want to answer fundamental business question that there's a lot at stake, you need to have trust in the information. So a big shift in AI, really, you know, we're super excited at what's happening because it just provides more education to the market and how companies can actually start leveraging these technologies within their environment. Obviously for us, COVID was a huge accelerator because a lot of enterprise had information on spend, how much are they spending with suppliers, even though it's still kind of hard. They've automated invoices through source to pay system. So they had some kind of visibility into spend. But then when something like COVID happens, spend doesn't really matter. <laughs> Risk becomes way more important. How to find alternative suppliers. So do you ensure business continuity? you know, in a lot of cases, how do you find PPEs to keep your employees safe so they come to work so that you can deliver product to your customers? <laughs> and so suddenly it was like, oh my God, we need, and then ESG came as a, okay, now we're setting up a target for carbon emission Black Lives Matter happened. Suddenly we need, you know, to report on which businesses do we do business that are, you know, Black-owned, woman-owned, veteran-owned, etc. And now you've got Germany with, you know, there's this new app where you have to have visibility in your tier two, your tier three suppliers, which you don't even know who your tier one suppliers are yet. So it's really, you know, I think all of this, this added regulations, these events, I've just propelled the need for information and procurement of supply chain or other functions that need the value is not in the doing of the data, the values and having trusted information to deliver better business outcome faster, right? And so when we talk about you know procurement getting a seat at the table will deliver value, be insightful, right? Influence business decisions, influence revenue, innovation, mitigate risk, help your organization achieve your ESG targets to use that as a competitive advantage. Like there's so many possibilities, but it's like procurement's been seen as like, oh, procurement's just, you know, saving money and we're just sourcing in procurement when in fact we're seeing billions of dollars in spend. Like, there's a huge amount of levers and that spend that you're not optimizing because you have no real visibility. And you can't leverage your buying power to influence those decisions because you don't know who you do business with at scale.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code.
2: You know, what's interesting to me is that there's, it's a constant tension. I mean, we play the, you know, automation orchestration of business processes. And I think what I've seen and kind of resemble something you mentioned is where, there's this tension between what does it take you to get to a desired result, and you mentioned the you know the insights out of the you know business intelligence tools. I think it's a, such a clean, simple example of, of that concept. You're like you, what are you looking for? You're looking for the insight, but sometimes you you almost like me to zigzag. You need to get to a point where you see what can be. And in your point, like even with shitty data. Okay, now you kind of see like, okay, oh, that might be able to answer those things. Wait, it can actually answer those because I don't have the data. And I I can go back and kind of look at the data. And and I feel like that is similar to another point you made about like, what is the actual process look like? And guess what? There's like 10 different manual steps there, which to me, it's funny with people are like afraid that AI is going to take people's job. And I'm like, it will take a job, but what part of the job it will take? Trust me, it's not the part that you want to do? You know, it's like, this is like, do you really need to want to combine those and clean the data and combine those, you know, that that, that sheets together? Like That's not actually what you want to do when you think about yourself as an analyst, for example. So it's what is the actual like baseline that is needed to get to the outcome? And I think I do agree with how you described it, I personally feel like there is a conversion of where the best case scenarios of like visionary ideas that have been pitched for like, honestly, 20 years now is in a position that can, it can be done. Not only because again, AI or technology, because, you know, AI has been here for a while. Like ChatGPT is not, you know, the first time that you see AI, it is the first time that something super popular and tangible came out of it. You know that people can see people don't think about Netflix recommendation engine as AI, although obviously it is. So that tangible thing allows people to dream different and be like, "Wow, wait, you tell me that I can use technology to answer questions about my business." And you're like, yeah, great. What do I need? You know, what I need now to do that." And sometimes that's easier than the opposite, right? Because you know, I think folks in our side of the industry trying to make Companies better, processes better, work better. Had to push a lot of those education into, look, you really need to get, you know, a hold of your processes, in my case, data in your case, where, you know, without it, you won't be able to get inside. You won't be able to do this and that. So you had to kind of, not convince, but like educate. Catalyst.
0: One of our customers' catalysts was the CEO, it's a large financial services company. The CEO was meeting with this with another CEO of a large bank and asked the team, how much money are we spending with them before the discussion? And the procurement team couldn't get the answer on time. Right. They had the data residing in different systems. They had multiple instances of the supplier. So they couldn't give a confident answer. And the CEO was like, also, can you let me know how much money we're spending with them? Like, she wanted the AR data, which did not was not owned by procurement. <laughs> and so they couldn't figure out how to get the AR data to then match to the spend data of this one entity on time for a business meeting that was really important to CEO. And they felt they failed. Like, we have failed to deliver value to our organization. And then they embarked into this journey of fixing this problem and it's basic stuff, right? It's like, how many suppliers do you have? I had a, a chief procurement officer last week that told me that out of $8 billion, they have $1.2 billion of uncategorized spend. They have no idea what they're spending money on. Sure, it could be a margin error, but the majority of those suppliers on that uncategorized spend are probably small businesses. You're not spending a ton of money, otherwise, you would know them better. And that's the biggest source of risk to your organization, especially when you're thinking about cybersecurity risk and others. It's also the biggest source of innovation. It's also the biggest lever for you to be able, if you're able to save $400 million out of that $1.2 billion of spend, how would that impact your bottom line? Right? Like there's so much, there's so much quality levers within what you don't know. And it's been too hard to date to be able to keep up with because there's so much information, there's so many suppliers that we've been, you know, the industry has been very selective. Oh, let's focus on 20% of our spend, right? The other suppliers, we don't care right now. We just don't have the bandwidth. And just to get a good grasp of this information, it takes a lot of time. And all these other processes for ESG, for risk, et cetera, it's all, you know, built into this Frankenstein architecture to address all these different business problems. But now it's changed, right? Like now you can actually get better information about your suppliers and, give your organization like just more trust in the quality of the information. And then you can power all these different bells and whistles that you've put in place, but you're going to get a lot more out of those systems. If they have better data quality, I'll drive better compliance. Like all those things will have a massive impact. So the impact and ROI you can get from just establishing a strong data foundation is, you know, it's almost hard to grasp because it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, but yeah, a catalyst, like what's that business question that you can't answer right now? Cause you don't have quality information. You know, that's a really good way to just put a more tangible sort of, you know, outcome to the business as to you know, build the investment or justify the investment and in getting better data. Yeah,
2: I think expectation is changing or as as changed. Like, I think I can see myself in the shoes of that CEO waiting for the data and getting really, really upset that they couldn't get it on time. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're like, talking about a Fortune 100. It's like... Right? Like we're not talking about like a mom and pop, which there's a lot of those, right? If you're working in a company, it's a, you know, we have another client that's growing five times because they're a lithium mining company. So every, every electric car need lithium. They're building the infrastructure to be able to produce enough or be able to get enough lithium in the hands of their customers. I mean, the infrastructure doesn't even exist. They're spending so much money, but it's a, over a hundred year old company. Like the change management is so astronomical. And when they, they think, you know, oh, well, we'll implement an ERP and a source to pay, that's old thinking. Yes, you're going to need this, but start by building a really strong data foundation because it's going to direct your strategy. It's going to make the implementation of these systems so much faster from a value perspective. Like it, it you're going to enable people to have access to information that they need to do their job. You're going to attract way better talent because they don't want to do the, you know, the mind numbing work of like reviewing data, you know, in a spreadsheet, they want to be able to access the information they need to deliver better outcomes. And so there's a huge impact. And honestly, it's been eight years, and I'm still as passionate as I was when I started, which is shocking, because as you know, as a founder, it's really freaking hard to build a tech company, especially when you're a little bit ahead of the market, trying to convince the world that, you know, this really actually matters. There's a huge impact. But I'm you know, I'm passionate because it just the market has kept validating. And just last week I'm attending this conference, we're talking about the biggest companies in the world in the audience, mostly procurement or IT slash supply chain procurement. And I ask, you know, use your 10 fingers to give me honest truth about the quality of the information that you have on your third party providers. And all these, all of these companies have in the tens to hundreds of thousands of suppliers globally, and so it was like two, three. Some put five, and they look around. They're like two, right? That's and then, and we're talking about hundreds of people in the audience. And then I asked them, okay, raise your hand if you believe that having good quality information about your third party provider is absolutely critical to your transformation or delivering, you know, your business outcome. in 100 percent of the room raise their hands. Like we have a big data problem. And it's not solved by connecting all your systems to the data lake. It's not solved by a bunch of consultants. You have to leverage technology. It exists. You don't have to do this the hard way anymore. Then, you know, a lot of other things will fall into place. But that's one area that you can have a big impact.
2: Nice. Well, I resonate with a lot of it. We're also been running for about eight years now. And shaping the market is not an easy task. So I salute you for that too. Um, I
0: salute you back. <laughs>
2: speaking of hardship and hard learnings i always like to ask you know is there any good advice you got through your career or things you would want to pay forward can be recent thing can be you know a long time advice
0: i think like we don't celebrate enough the entrepreneurs you know as an audience your audience being people in operations roles and as a startup founder like i couldn't not have built this business if some people on the customer side could believe in the vision and took a chance and took some risks and wanted to collaborate Then didn't expect perfection and had the ability to shape our product and when that happens and it comes with a logo and a revenue even though the revenue doesn't have to be crazy but any check any revenue we can put on our book so that we can show investors that we've closed a deal we have the logo A customer was willing to pay for it, even if it's in a sort of a co-innovation format. And then having the input from that client as we're building a product, it's so massively valuable. And if you're working in a large enterprise, especially a lot of people are very attractive to the thought of going to a startup. It's the best way to dip your toe with the comfort of your salary and your benefit, but get a bit of a taste of being in a startup. And so if I could pay it forward by encouraging people in operations to, you know, spend time with entrepreneurs, they're contagious with their energy and their passion and their beliefs. They had enough conviction to take an enormous amount of risk to build their business and hire people and raise capital. So at least they deserve, even if it's half an hour to 45 minutes of your time, if the solution is not for you, you know, help them navigate your organization to get in front of the right audience. If you think there's interest in solving a business problem or it could solve a business problem, make the suggestion. It doesn't mean they're going to take you up on it, but it may be worth a shot. And yeah, I think it's the best. It's the best impact you can have on startup, and it produces better product and allows us to get funding. And allows ultimately, you're going to get the benefit to be a thought leader in the space, to be able to achieve business outcome faster and be competitive. And it's something you have on your resume that you can replicate with other companies in the future. So. Yeah, if that message is paying forward to all the entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs out there, then hopefully I've done, I mean, some, you know, my good deed of the day.
2: Well, I, you know, this is spot on. I think the one thing I would add to it is that it is actually one of the best ways for folks in big companies to get promoted and to get visibility within the company and to raise above their rank is to bring innovation and take a bath. And I think it touches on something that I think most people don't understand or is not being taught maybe or not as commonly celebrated in, in just in general culture is you got to take a risk, you know. And it is risk uh, to to go in and invest thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands, of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a small startup it can be scary, it can be risky. But that's also where... The potential of the reward is real, you know. The metric I'm most proud of, you know, in our company, we measure how many of our champions get promoted after they buy Tonkin, and to me, this is just a signal of the impact that is sometimes more important than immediate ROI because it shows that that type of bets those people made are aligned with the strategy of the company. And so, I think we've never talked about it, but I think it's a really Good point to bring to light. And, you know, so look at those people that do take those changes, but ch- chances, but also that they encourage that this is actually a good way, very even practical way <laughs> to get promoted and get progress in your career, as well as, like you said, if you want to uh, dip your toe. So, yeah, great, great advice. Well, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. I don't have often other founder CEOs in the show, so it's a great conversation. So, I really appreciate it. If people want to follow up on Tillbook or view personally, is that uh, LinkedIn X, where is it?
0: Yeah, so it's Stephanie with a Y. If usually LinkedIn me with a Y, I come up typically at the top, so Stephanie Lapierre. If you're interested in data, supply chain, data foundation, AI, follow me. If not, don't, because I do post a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then tillbook.com if you're interested in learning more about our technology, please you know, reach out, contact our team. There's a lot of resources, lots of great presentations recently on stage with the likes of Goldman Sachs, Albert Marl, NASDAQ, and others. And so there's a lot of great content to learn sort of how they leverage our technology to drive business impact and why this matters to them from a business outcomes perspective.
2: Awesome. Well, Stephanie, congrats on all the success. And
1: thank you again for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at Tonkin.com slash MBO pod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkeen community at tonkincom slash community.